Okay. Uh, Zevon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Welcome to Famous Last Words, a filmmaking podcast based in Detroit. We talk about film reviews, things we like, things we don't like. We are occasionally, or often, as uh, half the episodes now, have a guest on them. Um, my name is Andrew Alden, uh, and you are? Teresa Alden. And you are? Our mm-hmm. guest. Yeah, Evan Sawyer. Guest MC. Guest MC. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Evan is going to ask us stream of consciousness questions about our film, Dangerous Creation. A little background on Dangerous Creation really briefly. It is a thriller. We can all agree it's a thriller. Um, and it's about a young aspiring writer who uh, is taken um, by a, like, excited by a writer named Elijah Harris. Her name is Nina. And uh, Nina gets accepted into Elijah Harris's uh, fellowship in Vermont. And she is based in Detroit. And she goes off to the fellowship and thrillers and her past come out in over the course of an hour and 40 minutes. Meanwhile, her boyfriend back home starts to have um, self-radicalization issues. Um, <clears throat> issues. Issues. <laughs> this movie is available on Tubi. We will work this in as often as possible. So, Evan, you are now going to ask a stream of consciousness questions about it. And when we feel that we've exhausted it, we'll probably do two more after that. Mm-hmm. And we won't realize that we had right. exhausted it. So, um, quickly, you, you kind of had a... a I was the writer and director of Dangerous Creation. Teresa, what was your role in Dangerous Creation? I was the cinematographer and editor and co-wrote. Co-wrote it, yeah. yeah. Beautiful, yeah. Evan, so, you kind of had a role in this movie. Too. You're not completely ignorant to the movie. I'm not completely, completely ignorant. I'm an extra um, <laughs> and uh, was, was around when many things were happening. I saw many drafts, etc. You helped first- us craft our ending. I did. I, I was. Uh, you watched a rough uh, cut for the craft, the crafting of the ending. Yeah, I remember that very, very uh, vividly. Um, all right, here's my first question. Um, what was the the like inception for the idea for this movie? Like, what was the the before a script was written? Like, what was there a was there a oh I want to make a movie about X or I want to make a movie about Y or Z or the like, what was the first inkling of an idea? Was it Nosferatu? Was it reading James Baldwin? Was it, like, what was the... Uh, the first inclination of the idea was kind of, uh, well, Isaiah Spencer, who plays Elijah Harris, has a Nosferatu-esque... I mean, he, no, the guy, Max Schreck, who plays Nosferatu in the 1922 film, is very thin and has uh, very short hair, if no hair at all. Uh, I think he had hair in real life, but he wore a bald cap. And it kind of, I, I was like, oh, I, Isaiah could look like a Nosferatu kind of character. He could embody this role. I think he'd have a good time being creepy. He'd been creepy in a short film for us before. And so that image stuck with me. And then I started examining Nosferatu as like a story of the fear of the other. Um, that like, well, what if, because like, in the Werner Herzog 1970s remake of Nosferatu, it's very much spends a lot of time talking about how the town is like breaking down politically, breaking down socioeconomically because Nosferatu is essentially picking off all these people, and people are starting to get paranoid and blaming other folks in this little German and little. I think in the Werner Herzog, it's a German town, mm. um, as opposed to uh, in, uh, London in Dracula, and so that was kind of the first thought. And then I took the structure of the 1922 Nosferatu, 
and started to like use that structure as a launching off point and I started writing. And uh, yeah, that's how that was the inception of the idea. Cool, cool. And, I'm, and yeah, Teresa, and have, same with you, yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty much that because Andrew came to me with sort of that theory and story already in mind. Um, and then I just helped on some of the drafts of the scripts. But I wanted to point out that there's like some nods to Nosferatu or the original Dracula with the names like Harker and Nina. Um, Harker is a name from Dracula and then Nina, I think it's Me- Mina or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, and Lucy, and Lucy. Yeah, and Lucy. So like we intentionally, and there's a couple shots, like especially in the beginning of the film that are like, when you meet Nosferatu, it's like, it has a similar vibe when you meet uh, Elijah Harris. Yeah. 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 I think me having seen both would recommend people who are going to go watch this on Tubi to watch Nosferatu maybe like, before your second watch of Dangerous Creation, go watch Nosferatu and then watch this and like seeing all the intentional but like very low key parallels is kind of a cool way to be able to see it. Like you see it differently when you've seen Nosferatu and you see how uh, it's intentionally kind of a a, a a mirror to that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, all right. Another question. Stream of consciousness. What is something that a scene, a cut, a shot an image. Um, actually, I'm going to split this question up. Andrew, what is a, a scene, a dialogue, or a concept, or a part of the movie that did not make the final cut that you really liked and like wish that it could have found a way into the narrative? And Teresa, what is like an image or like a, a, a frame that you really loved that maybe didn't make the cut? Mm. Um, we So we showed the movie... Uh, uh, to friends and family and crew and cast who had worked on the movie. And we got some feedback, and from that feedback, we made what is now the definitive cut of the movie. Um, and one thing we had to cut, which was very painful to cut, was originally um, Nina, when she leaves Detroit, stops halfway, undisclosed halfway between Detroit and Vermont. And... We had innkeepers who had a number of scenes that also brought a lot of levity to the story. <clears throat> and uh, they were very... Mandy Logston and Joshua Boots played those two characters, and they played them to perfection. Um, but for time, we felt the movie moved better if we could get to Vermont as soon as possible. Um, and so there's a sequence there where Nina has a premonition of, of the coming horror. And there was a number of shots of, of her coming down the staircase in in super soaked red light and her shadow was casting like this kind of grotesque image and to me that was kind of another nod to Nosferatu at the of the original Nosferatu and that whole sequence we lost but we had executed that almost exactly uh to a T so that's the one that I mourn the loss of the most I remember that that was cool yeah yeah that shot with I mean we intentionally tried to reference the shadow on the stairs um so it was it was sad to lose that but you know, we had like a really long, rough cut that we had to keep cutting down and even one more cut from there for like before we did festivals. We just we wanted it under two hours and that that was yeah. had to go. But the other thing that I really miss that <laughs> I still tried to get back in back in the movie at one point. But um, there's a scene that is another like horror inspired uh, moment that is actually another reference to um, two film or two 
a film and a, a TV show, like it's a reference within a reference within a reference. Um, but in the movie, is it the Tale of Two Sisters? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a scene where um, the one of the main characters has like a nightmare and she's in bed and um, at the foot of her bed. Yeah, so like the, the blankets are like pulling and the, the camera is like very focused on the blankets being pulled and you're like terrified. And then at the foot of the bed is a ghost and it happens to be, you know, a, a woman who had hung herself so her neck is bent. And so the secondary reference is um, Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House. Um, he has a whole ghost called the Benton Neck Lady, and he mm. does almost a similar reference with the bed, and she shows up in other places. So I was like captivated with this image. And so we have a moment in our film where um, the character played by Oshin Stack, Nathaniel, um, you know, he, he essentially kills himself um, and he, he drowns. And so we had a nightmarish scene where, um, you know, the Nina, she's asleep and you see the bed covers like pulling and it's shot in a very similar way. And it's just kind of scary and terrifying. And then at the end of her bed is not like a bent net glady, but Oshin, uh, Nathaniel, you know, drenched in water and mm-hmm. standing there. And like, it's it's scary and it's supposed to allude to his death. and. Um, you know, we had to lose it for time. We had to, I think there was like issues with the connective tissue with like how we were jumping back and forth from Nina's story and Harker's story. And we just couldn't get it. You know, we had to mess around a little bit with like time and day and shots because we had to pull some stuff out because our movie was too long. So it just didn't make it. And, and the movie makes sense without it, but I mourn the loss of that horror theme and the double reference to like two of my favorite things. Yeah, I I feel like there's a lot of of and these two are both examples of that of shots that like were beautiful and cool and referenced, but for clarity of narrative and for time had to be lost. I bet that's like, are there any lasting lessons from that process of? like the painful process of going from a three-hour rough cut of all stuff you'd like or majority stuff you'd like to an hour 40. Um, and like in your next film, is there going to be a different approach or do you think it's just a reality and kind of a a good thing and a normal thing that you're going to have a three-hour rough cut and there's going to be lots of scenes you lose that you love? I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> Maybe you should go ahead first then. As the editor. <laughs> we do not recommend a four, three to four hour rough cut, which was like our our um, assembly cut, which like kind of comes before the rough cut was four hours long. So we, we fell like we had a first movie kind of situation where we over shot, we overwrote the script. We, you know, we didn't completely know how it was going to, come out um and so i mean it was great we had all this footage to work with because we did kind of shape the story a second time and having that be our first movie maybe that's not such a bad thing because you know if you have a really short tight script and you make a mistake because you don't you know you're kind of inexperienced you don't really have much to like work with and so the the good side of that though i do not recommend (laughs) is um 
you know, we had a lot to work with and we like sat around with note cards literally on our wall trying to kind of rewrite the story because we had to cut half a movie out of this and still make it make sense. Um, you know, so what we've learned for the next movie that we've already shot and it's in post-production, you know, Andrew made a really concise script. We did multiple drafts. You worked with actors in the rehearsal process even before completing the script. So it has like a lot of their personalities in it or their characters' personalities that they built together. Um, And now that we're in, you know, we're editing that, there's a different challenge of like, we have the footage that we have and it is definitely a shorter feature film. And, you know, we have nothing else to pull from unless we were to do some sort of reshoots, but that's almost impossible with low budget and because we shot it in France. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's things to learn from it. I think a manageable script will help you when you're actually shooting things, especially low budget, but, you know, making sure you have enough footage to play with um, if you need it in the edit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, planning is is a big thing that we didn't do enough of. I mean, we did a lot of planning, but we um, overshot the script. The script was like 116 pages or something, which should have been just south, just a little bit less than two hours. Uh, And when we, like we said, when we got back, it was very, very long. It was four hours. The assembly of what the script was, and there's a number of sequences we didn't even shoot. There's like maybe two sequences of like three or four pages we never even shot. Yeah. Um, I think we got lucky, like Teresa said, to have all this footage to cut through. I think that when you're making your first... Pro- I mean, we've done everything kind of the hard way. Um, but when you go to make your... If you're looking for like an actionable thing, um, if you're going to make your first feature and you're making it for little to no money or you know whatever that means to you... Um, I would say that make sure that you have access to go back to the location because we were Mm -hmm. able to go back. So COVID started the March after the summer we shot this movie. Right. Um, But we were still able to go back to where we shot it, uh, the Vermont portion at least, and shoot a lot of uh, B-roll to help bridge the circadian rhythm, which um, I think that's a hallmark of bad movie making is like you'll have morning, day, morning, or night, day, night, scenes and like you should be i mean there's certain movies that like can throw it out if the script is really tight and you can kind of like play with it um i mean a, a prime example of like disturbing circadian rhythm in movies is uh dunkirk christopher nolan's dunkirk there's a point where it's like clearly nighttime the sun is going down and then it cuts today and you don't realize until like a couple minutes into it that you've gone back in time huh. um and i think that's i see a lot of like amateur low budget movies um and circadian rhythm is something that a lot of people throw out um, just out the window. And if you don't have recognizable actors, you know, like name brand actors, it's hard to like, oh, is this that character that is was just nighttime or is this the mm. character that's getting up? And like we right. we made a big right. I made a big point of that almost maybe too much so. But <laughs> I think that a bunch about this. <laughs> but I think that no one misunderstands that days are going by in our movie. Um, right. There might be some other issues with time. But, like, in general, it's just, like, we made every... We had, like, five or six morning, day, night sequences that, like, every day was moving along pretty well. Yeah. yeah. We argued a lot about it, though. I do think you're right. I will give you this one. Though, I was, like, <laughs> as the editor, I was just, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. We can make this work. People are smart. <laughs> but, no, you're right. I think... 
<laughs> Andrew wins. <laughs> well, it's 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 crazy. It's not crazy, but it's interesting to hear the perspective of like that's something that me, a lay person who does not make films, would never even it would never even enter my mind that that's a thing that matters. And yet, you guys are having high level discussions and arguments about it. Um, compromising our marriage yeah for okay come on without hoping to compromise your marriage more was there anything else that was there anything that you guys debated in terms of the film that like what else was a really really long debate about the film that you really just went back and forth on in terms of a story choice or a shot choice or or anything something even as small seemingly as circadian rhythm that was actually a really big debate because it was like that being like, we need to do this killed Teresa's sequence with O'Shane in the water. Yeah. It killed a scene where Caitlin ate a pork chop in one like unbroken gonna, take. My next question was about the pork chop. <laughs> uh, well, we can come back to that. Um, it killed. It made it so that like we knew that we were going to throw out things we loved because to keep the story moving. Um, I would say that was our biggest fight. About like the, yeah. the making of the movie because it kind of like forced our hand into a thing. And I think ultimately, yeah, you were right. And like maybe the hard part was getting rid of the scenes that we loved and we thought were really important to the film, though they were important to the film, but me and but doable without like the story was understandable. They weren't important them. to the story. They were just yeah. beautiful. And I think that's yeah. really hard as a an artist in general is to like. To, especially in the entertainment business. I mean, we are entertaining people, or we hope to. Um, you know, it's hard to f- take the things that you really want in your film and that you feel is important out because you could have your story without them. And really, the story is what matters. Mm. Um, and so we were aligned in that sense. And I think it was just, it was difficult to put the puzzle pieces together while following the circadian rhythm that we had kind of messed up in shooting by shooting too much when we had like Andrew wrote the script with a good sense of days you know I think it was supposed to be like a week or 10 days she was there but because we overshot we had to pull so much out that Mm -hmm. we literally had to rework the days and what happened we like jumbled and moved some scenes around and that's why we used postcards or um, note cards on the wall because we literally labeled them like day one, day two. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it was a really interesting thing. But I, I do think that was probably the biggest. I mean, we had, we, had, we, had, we had it multiple times because it like was just kind of like maybe I was being too draconian in my thinking about it. But, you know, I think that it creates like by having morning, day, night, it created like a verisimilitude of like like how the movie feels grounded in reality even though there's like references against that you know what i mean okay um and uh i don't think we really i mean we did not fight much on the like shooting of this movie um we probably fought zero times i think i don't remember fighting on this movie i remember fighting on the next movie uh (laughs) but that was like me versus everyone um (laughs) I don't think the Andrew versus everyone t-shirts are gonna, or sweatshirts are going to catch on. but um. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a good time shooting this first film. And, um, you know, stressful, difficult. But, yeah. yeah, it was more editing. And I think the tension came from the fact that we had to, like, kind of make a new story. 
after shooting everything. Um, so it's just like the writing process extended, which you can have some heated debates <laughs> during mm. that. Yeah, and I think one last thing on, on this subject, too, is like if you're making a horror movie and horror movies are like an open genre, right? It's, it's, it's a genre that like a lot of people can make pretty cheaply. There's a lot of very famous examples of people making cheap horror movies that go on to launch careers. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Evil Dead. Um, I think that the thing that I wish I had known was that horror on the page is like she goes around the room. In horror, that's one sentence on the script, on the page. But in horror, that in order to pace the movie correctly could be up to a minute. So mm. unless you're going to be really pedantic and like say she walks over to the typewriter, she walks over to the telephone, she goes over and picks up a magazine. Unless you're going to like really detail these things out in real time on the page, you have to remember that horror moves slower on the slower and like it it's kind of like schizophrenic yeah. on the page on the page versus what you're shooting because some things need to be really slow and other things need to be really fast where you could be flipping pages of dialogue and scenarios so we had a hundred and sixteen a hundred <laughs> an hour and 49 minute movie on by one page equals one minute but when we got to shooting it that obviously didn't happen mm. and a good thing to remember is it takes longer in your shooting time too because a lot of times these scenes are really complicated and involve some sort of horror element or thriller like suspense. Yeah. So like walking around the house because she hears things various times, it's like a 15 minute sequence. And on the page, it's like five sentences or something. If you, yeah. even if you really spell it out, like, so when you're like filming, you know, there's no dialogue. So you're like, Oh, we're going to get through this fast. But no, I mean, there's tons of camera setups and, or various, like we did a one take and, you know, even though we weren't setting up cameras a lot um, because it was just one take, we had to redo it like eight, nine times. Because, we did it eight times, yeah. And it was all perfectly chore choreographed and we had like um, production assistants and people helping us like time lights and other things that mm -hmm. had to happen. So it was like fun to do, but you have to remember that when you're shooting too. Yeah. Do you guys see yourself coming back to the horror genre as filmmakers? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think we, I think we do. I think, like, I, like I kind of referenced uh, a, a second ago. Um, I think that we like the horror genre because I think that, like, if you say it's horror, you can actually talk about a lot more other issues. Mm. Um, like this movie is also about about privilege and uh, a number of like self radicalization and um, who are you? And I think that. We were able to talk about those things by saying it's kind of a horror movie. I will say this about the horror genre is we submitted this movie to, I don't know, we ended up doing many, many film festivals, uh, submitting mm -hmm. to many. It's not, our movie is not horror enough for the for some horror film festivals. Mm -hmm. And we showed this at, I won't name the festival, but we showed at one in particular festival where it became very apparent very early on that like we didn't have enough like you know, blood, tits, and gore in our movie to, like, satisfy the itch of, like, the people who think of horror as being not so much get more, less get out and more, you know, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. Um, there's a number of those people. And, like, there's no disrespect either way, um, but our movie was, like, did not satisfy the bloodlust of the masses, I think, <laughs> the way that some people hope horror will. Yeah. 
But yeah, I'm hoping our next film, so the one in post-production right now is not a horror film. It's a family drama and we, it's interesting and I really enjoy that film too. Um, but I'm hoping our next one will be a, a horror thriller kind of area of that genre. Is there a script in the works here? Or is this just a, a yes. idea? Maybe. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. Seeds planted. Um, last question for you guys. Last question. Tell me about the pork chops. <laughs> this will be fast. This is, I know. You, you want to go? You want me to say it? Yep. Um, we made our one of our lead actors, Caitlin, uh, eat an entire pork chop cooked but covered in like barbecue sauce in one like unbroken take for like 10 minutes uh and andrew can explain why in the story it makes sense but um we she did a marvelous job and it looked so good and the lighting was great and it was so creepy and just and unsettling and so gross. gross the sound design like or the just the sound capture uh, was just disgustingly amazing <laughs> and it got cut because you know we couldn't the whole effect of it was to do the whole take. And I think it was like eight minutes or something. No. And we couldn't dedicate eight minutes in the story that we were already kind of trying to yeah. craft and shape down. We, sh- we traded. We did not plan on doing the one originally. We had planned on doing that with oh, basic coverage. Yep. So we kind of traded. Like we didn't know when we shot it that we were not going to use the pork chop. And we maybe even shot the pork chop thing after we shot the one Um But we... That in the cut, like looking back on it, hindsight being twenty twenty, that was definitely going to go because we couldn't do two twelve minute like that would be a third yeah. of the movie or yeah, you know what I mean. So or a quarter of the movie. Um, narratively, again, me, me being self satisfied with being like the first draft. She was like a vegan who slowly starts eating meat, and I feel like meat like that was a very. I mean, in the pork chop scene, there's a it's pretty visceral. I mean, it feels like you can feel yeah. Hear her chewing the meat. Hear her. See her swallowing. See her just you know bodying this pork chop. Um, but in the original script, she was a vegan, and so like this is whole, her whole falling from veganism to show that she's really lost herself as like kind of like a you know flag to the audience. And yeah. that became not that she, we didn't say she wasn't a vegan. I mean, she never eats meat on screen in the whole movie, but it becomes like unnecessary unnecessary it doesn't help the story you can she's already wearing it on her face that she's having a fucking terrible time so like um yeah no she, yeah. That, that that went out the window and it probably wasn't detailed enough and set up enough in the script in the first place to be an important detail uh so i mean you know live and learn yeah yeah um is that or is there a a format or place in which Someday people will be able to see deleted scenes like this. We yeah, we talk about this though we haven't really figured out if I mean maybe it's just our website or something cuz we yeah. were like, well, if we make a Blu-ray, we could have deleted scenes. Um, but like rarely anyone besides us use right. Blu-rays anymore. Right. Us and our sound person Cody Wansadell. <laughs> yes. Don't yeah. listen to watch and see brutal Blu-rays. But they're like kind of cut together. I mean, they're not like fully finished cuz they yeah. didn't make it into the you know the coloring process and all that but you know they're cut together so they could they could go out there hey when we start our 
Patreon. Maybe. If we ever start, if we, a start if we do a Patreon, that's that would a great, be a great Patreon place. thing. Yeah. Yes, yes. Shameless, so stay shameless tuned. plug. Definitely start a Patreon. I actually lied to you. I have one final question. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was thinking about. I know there's a there's a and this is kind of a, a multi layered question, but there's a a water motif throughout the the film um, of Caitlin frequently drinking water and not just drinking, but the splashing of the water because this film is shot on a lake and there's water plays a role throughout the movie. Um, a, I'm just curious as as a as a film consumer. Like what role you feel motifs like that play where, you know, I'm sure you're conscious that there's a percentage of people who will never pick up on anything like that. And there's a very small percentage of people that may notice like, hey, there's a lot of water. Like what's with all the glasses of water? And it will make them think about stuff. But like when you're putting in, taking the extra effort to place a motif like that strategically in the narrative, what is your hope that viewers get out of? that or what it adds to the movie yeah uh well water was super intentional um i uh at the time it was it was a pre pre trump or no trump was 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 elected and but we had you know he was president had two more years left um i thought that water is something that like i think is a basic human right uh mm. you know globally uh and it's going to become a huge issue in everyone's lifetime like water is already scarcity is already going to be an issue um, in a lot of places. Um, and it was all during when every day in the news in Michigan, Flint water was kind of the people were being prosecuted. They didn't have drinking water. And this was a place, you know, less than an hour from where I lived. And so I kind of thought of what, like she just is so it's a very easy trigger sign of her privilege is like, you know, she goes along in the movie drink trusting the water she's drinking and that's what that was the vehicle of what she's been tampered with and she's just mm. so trusting of the water because she's never had to worry about drinking water where if you talk to people from other countries people from um you know impoverished neighborhoods there's or flint or recently jackson mississippi or yeah and all these yeah people have to boil water you know you have to be cognizant of what you're putting into your body and that's like the thing that you need to live i mean yeah. Uh, so that was definitely a motif that I set out to put in like the veganism, uh, but mm-hmm. it's definitely the stronger motif. And it was one, I mean, there's a lot of sequences of her drinking water a her, lot. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's another one, like for your third watch, after you watch Nosferatu, watch it a second time. The third watch, the water just count, watch. keep a water, do a water drinking game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just um, keep watching on TV. Yeah. A and shot I, for every glass of water she drinks. <laughs> you'll be passed out 45 minutes. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll drown. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, <clears throat> I think that uh, there's lots of movies that use visual motifs as like uh, in the bedrock of, of what they are. And sometimes you see them and sometimes you don't. Uh, for example, like orange, like oranges in uh, The Godfather. So there's a scene where um, Al Pacino, like oranges are just all over that movie. When Marlon Brando goes to get oranges, he gets shot and nearly killed. Uh, there's oranges in his his wife, his Italian wife, Al Pacino's Italian wife, eats an orange and then dies. Uh, like a few scenes later, um, there's a big scene where uh, Don, uh, where Marlon Brando is meeting with all the mob bosses of New York, and the only ones that get killed at the end of the movie are have an orange and fringe with them. And then oh. there's uh, you know Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Um, there's X's, so X's signify people who are going to die, and you see them. Once you see it, it's like 
obnoxiously amount of X's are in the scene, particularly the shootout that takes place where Leonardo DiCaprio dies. There's like X's on every single backing yeah. wall in every single shot. Yeah. My my comment is just like on motifs in general is that, you know, they're not um they're not necessarily a plot device, so but I think they are <clears throat> incredibly important, like contact, connective tissue of storytelling because it helps your brain associate like things, um, which you don't even know it's happening. It's on a subconscious level. Hmm. So as a storyteller, you're telling your audience to focus on these things. Um, and sometimes they're visual and sometimes they're audio. Sometimes that's music. But you're basically pointing out that like, this is important to the story that we're going to tell, but you know, if you don't, it's, it's important, but it's not a plot thing. So if you Mm. don't understand it, you don't understand it. But I think sometimes people's brain understands more than they think. And it's interesting. Would you say the way that you presented that, would you say almost that like your water plays the same role as like when every time the villain appears on screen, the same music plays like almost that same, like it's drawing that, that connection for your brain even if you don't notice it yeah it's something similar and we're trying to hint that there's something not right, right. um and that the water there's some mystery to the water and then it actually even goes as far as like in the script you know um nathaniel comments on that the, the water, water is dangerous yeah. um so we we're getting a little heavy-handed with it but it was it was a way to indicate to our audience that there is like a mystery to figure out here and like what is the deal with the water and what is the deal with some other things. Um, but yeah, so sometimes it's just a device to try to get your audience to, you know, figure out the puzzle a little bit. Cool. Well, I could ask you questions all day, but uh, we can call this a wrap for now. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for asking us questions. Great Appreciate questions. It. Yeah, good, good stream of conscious <laughs> questions. Thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, I'm Andrew Alden and, uh, you are Teresa Alden and I'm guest host, guest MC, question asker, Evan. Uh, so, uh, we, (laughs) I just turned on the flashlight from my my phone. This is like why doing this on film was maybe a little bit better. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, so we're going to get out of here. Talk to you later. Bye. Next time on Famous Last Words, we'll be talking to Evan, sounds like a cool guy, about his favorite film of all time. Tune in.